good to have Carol with us uh, playing the organ. Uh, Devin's gone uh, this Sunday, uh, taking a Sunday off, and we just uh, thank her for her ministry with us. Uh, one other announcement, Ian and Ann Kinney, uh, many of you uh, particularly are aware of Ian because he'll preach uh, his, his uh, British sermons here on, on Sunday mornings. Um, a variety of things have been happening in their lives recently, and the firm that he has been uh, working for uh, and with uh, since he made the move from the UK had some dramatic changes, and he was, uh, how shall I put it, he was scouted from the New York City area, and um, he now has been um, offered a position in New York City amongst all the skyscrapers, and so he'll be uh, moving to New York um, almost immediately. They're going to the UK this week. Uh, for uh, three or four weeks of vacation, and then as soon as he gets back, he flies to New York and starts October 1st. So if you see Ian around, I think he's going to be at the prayer emphasis on a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, but uh, they're going to be moving rapidly, and we, they, we will definitely miss them. Ann will be around for a while after they get back from the UK in the transitional part, but um, we'll just be praying for them as they are missionaries to New York City and asking God to, to bless them in, in their endeavors. Well, this morning uh, we're going to be uh, speaking about uh, God intervening. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 10. And this is kind of going to be somewhat of an unusual message because we're just going to touch down on a couple of things this morning uh, rather than going verse by verse because the section we are in is one of the genealogies of the Old Testament. Now, we're familiar with the New Testament beginning in the Gospel of Matthew with the genealogy of Christ. In fact, sometimes when you invite a, a new person uh, in Christ to maybe begin reading in the New Testament, and they begin with Matthew chapter 1, and all of a sudden they, they realize, I know why I didn't want to ever read the Bible. I can't understand it. All it is a list of names. And sometimes we're that way as well. When we, list, we look at certain sections, we get the begat sections in the Old Testament, and we just say, well, let me skip that. And quite frankly, I often do that, or I speed read it to say I actually read it, but I don't get a whole lot of, out of it. Because it's one of those sections you almost have to get help to understand it, or you have to begin to kind of go through some of the landmines there to pick the, the jewels out of uh, all that's there. And we're going to try to do that a little bit this morning. But before I do that, I want to put it somewhat in context, and we don't have a lot of time this morning, uh, but sometimes we put our hope not so much in God, but in man. And that is true not only for people outside the church, but let's be honest, it's also true inside the church. And this is particularly pertinent in an election year. As we begin to look at the options we have to vote come November. And I think that's crucially important. I think that God's people more than anybody else ought to be people who are responsible as citizens to vote. I think we need a really wrestle with the issues and the candidates and the platforms, and we ought to compare what people uh, are promoting with the Word of God and where God touches down on those, and I think uh, we ought to let our faith govern how we vote, and we ought to vote responsibly, and we ought to vote, vote faithfully. But even with that, we need to understand that our hope is not found in man, and that has always been true, and we need to recognize that our only hope for the ills of this world is ultimately is when Jesus returns. I was saying in the first service, there's, there's 
there's a form of government that's both the worst and the best. The worst form of government is a dictatorship. The best form of government is a dictatorship. It all demands, all, all revolves around who is the dictator. And when Jesus comes, he is going to be the king of kings and lord of lords, and he will rule righteously and faithfully. But until that happens, uh, fallen man uh, will not lead well. And one of the, the geniuses of, of the formation of the United States of America is that we put that into our political system where there are um, checks and balances because we knew that no matter where you put leadership or power, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is true not only in our days, but it's been true every day. Unless God intervenes, we're going to mess up this planet even more than we have already. And God demonstrated that from the very beginning. As he began with Adam and Eve, they were completely righteous and good. They had one choice. They chose to rebel against God, to disobey him. They fell into sin, and that sin permeated society. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, is that man's thoughts and inclinations were continually evil. And that started from a righteous stock, a good stock. And then Genesis chapter 6, we have the flood, uh, verses chapter 6, 7, and 8. So now we have Noah. And Noah was a righteous man. He had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he had three sons. And the reason those three sons got on the boat, got on the ark, because they were believers as well. But it didn't take long. In Genesis chapter 9, we had sin starting to creep in as well. Well, in Genesis chapter 10, we have God revealing to us what happened after that. And basically what happened is that the three sons began to uh, multiply. They began to have their own families. And from those families, there was a lineage that was going through. And, And we need to understand from that as, as, the, as the lives began to populate this earth, those lives that were populating this earth, we wonder, was there any rhyme or reason? Was God intervening in any possible way? And I want to make just a very few simple observations of Genesis chapter 10 and 11 to kind of just give us that scene by which we then enter in next Lord's Day, Lord willing, into God's program through His chosen people. It's interesting, if you look at the Bible, in terms of recorded human history, from Genesis chapter 1 uh, to the time of Genesis chapters 10 and 11, you basically got about 2,000 years. And then from Genesis uh, 12 through 50, you have 350 years. And so we have, we have raced through human history, 2,000 years of it, and going from 1 through 11. And, and in it, in chapter 10, we see the nations explode. And we need to say this very plainly. There's only one race here on this planet. It's the human race. For a Christ follower, there is absolutely no reason ever to be a racist. To somehow feel and believe that one race is superior to another. Because we all came, first of all, from Adam and Eve, and then we all came from Noah, and then we all came from Noah's, one of Noah's three sons. We all came from the same DNA pool. Now, as the nations were spread, that's within the, the complexity of the DNA, things began to change, and, and certain characteristics in various parts of the world uh, developed, 
But we are all simply human beings created in the image of God that God placed on this planet. Now with this, we need to understand this, and this is my first very simple observation, that God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. He, he knows when good things happen, and he knows when bad things happen. And, and no one really should ever think that they're getting away with anything, and yet often we do. And, and sometimes people even blatantly, even as they, they sense that God is watching, sometimes they don't care. I want to pick out a particular individual in the genealogies of, of Genesis chapter 10 and, and just point out that God knew what was going, going on, what was going on right then and what was going to go on because it was before him. But before we do that, I, I want to read this one quote. I, I was fascinated by it this past week. It's written by William F. Albright. And William F. Albright is considered by most the foremost archaeologists or was the most foremost archaeologist of the Near East. And he wrote this about Genesis chapter 10. It stands absolutely alone in ancient literature without a remote parallel, even among the Greeks, where we find the closest approach to the distribution of peoples in genealogical framework. The table of nation remains an outstanding, accurate document. In other words, if, if we were to trace this, it's interesting. As you look at the, the lineage of, of Japheth, which is basically Indo-European, as you look at Ham, which Many of his descendants eventually populated in Africa. As you, as you look at Shem, uh, basically the Middle East, you can see archaeologically that this actually happened from those uh, three lines. But what I want to focus on is a particular individual that was, was raised up and then had a particular destiny. Look at Genesis chapter 10, beginning with verse uh, 8. In Genesis chapter 10, we have that familiar to some, a uh, man named Nimrod, who is written about in Two Cities of Babylon, who's also written in, we might read from that, the Jerusalem Targum. Uh, Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, and, and just a point here, and this is the phrase I want you to understand, is that God knows what's going on because everything that happens on this earth is before him. He is aware fully and completely about what happens. And this man, Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter, which means he was a mighty warrior, really. The word hunter has the idea of being a warrior. Um, it goes on in verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom, so this is a person who was not only a warrior, but he became a man who ruled, had his own kingdom, was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Galna in the land of Shinar. So he had multiple spots in which he reigned. And from the land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. So Nimrod is a man who, who built many cities, became a leader of tribes and cities and towns and, and nations. And it's interesting, as you think about Nimrod, Nimrod really lived up to his name. The, the word Nimrod really means let's rebel. And that's exactly from historical perspective is, is that Nimrod was a warrior, was a leader, was a kingdom builder, and he was a man who, who controlled people. The Jerusalem Targum said this, which is an interesting quote from a, a Jewish historian. They say of Nimrod, he was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord, for he was a hunter of men. And he said to them, Depart from the judgment of the Lord, 
and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod, the one who was to rebel. Therefore it is said, as Nimrod, the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. And so as Babel was built, as Nineveh, and if you remember about Nineveh, Nineveh is best known for the city in which Jonah did not want to, what? Go. He did not want to go there. And the reason he did not want to go there, because two things. One, it was such a wicked city. But secondly, is that he, he knew that God was such a loving, forgiving God that if that wicked city would repent, God would forgive. But it was a place of wickedness. Babel was a place of wickedness. Babylon was a place of wickedness. Nineveh was a place of wickedness. And Nimrod, the rebellion, captured the hearts of people. Now, in some ways, you're, you're wondering, well, why, why did God allow that to happen? Why did he allow Nimrod to come to such influence that he stirred the hearts of men to, to form these wicked cities that rebelled against God? Was God somehow unaware? Was he taking a nap when this happened? But what we need to realize very simply, God does know what's going on. He's not surprised by the evil of that day or the evil of this day. And really the only thing that keeps God from doing what he did in Noah's day, which is bringing judgment upon the whole earth, is what 2 Peter says in 3.9. That God is not slow about his promise that of coming again, but he desires all should come to repentance, that more should become repentance. God knows what's going on, even when evil prospers. The other observation I wanted to make, as I was kind of going through this section devotionally, is that we only think we know what's going on. Because if I were reading this chapter, that would be the name I would focus on, Nimrod. He's the one to remember. But really in the midst of this, and this was in the, uh, the, the, genes, the, the, the lineage of Japheth and Ham, if you go on, and particularly Ham, you go on, now you get to the, the lineage of Shem. They're basically 70 genealogies or, or specific lines in uh, chapter 10. And I think it's 14 for one, 16 for the other, and 27 for the other, something like that. But the majority of them point more graphically toward the line of Shem, which is the last one. In fact, it's continued on for three generations, which is interesting. If you wonder how we got this list of nations, not only did God inspire it, but probably Shem, who was the father of them, the grandfather of them all, I guess you could say, he probably listed all those to the, the sixth generation. And then Moses picked that up and recorded for us in the Old Testament. But look at a couple verses that seem to be nothing but really have great significance. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, we have these words. Aphragat begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. In his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So Eber had two sons. Peleg and Joktan. And you go, okay. And then it goes on and lists a whole slew of other names. And you say, what's, what's so significant about that? If I was reading about that, I would say nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's all we hear about them. But we find out that they have much more significance than even Nimrod does. Because Eber is what most historians believe is the, the father of the name by which we get Hebrew. And he was the, the lineage by which the Hebrew people came into being. And then of the two sons, Peleg and Joktan, Peleg was the, the line by which Abram, or who became Abraham, came. In fact, look at Genesis chapter 11. 
in Genesis chapter 11, verse 16, it says, Eber, which Genesis 11 gives a little bit more of the genealogies. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. And after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. And after he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. So again, you have another statement about Peleg from Eber. But when you get down to verse 37, here you have the statement. And from 16 on, it all talks about the line of Eber, or Eber. It says this, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram and Nahor and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. And the simple point I want to make from these genealogies is, is we look at this, the one that described the most is Nimrod, a mighty warrior, a mighty hunter, a, a builder of a kingdom and great cities. And historically, he's going to be tied into what we're going to look at next, which is the Tower of Babel. A man who went to great prominence, but in reality, not much significance. Because Abram, from Eber and Peleg, who became Abraham, he was going to be the father of many nations. He was going to be the man in which the whole world would be blessed. He was the man in whom the line of Jesus the Messiah would come. And so the devotional point I want to make from that is simply this. Sometimes what we think is so significant is only prominent. And what we think is so prominent really has little significance. And that's also true in our own life. Sometimes we think the things that we do, we think... What's so important about that? Every life matters to God. It is simply where we invest it. Are we using our lives to honor Him? Or in Nimrod's case, we'll see in a moment, to dishonor Him. And when whatever we do, when we honor God, that's significance. That's what really matters. God knows what's going on. He's not surprised by the evil in this world. And he knows when lives live such a way that they become a blessing to others. Well, let's look at, quickly, the first part of Genesis chapter 11. And in this point, I, I want to make it this again, kind of a devotional thought. Is getting people to talk with each other and work together is not the goal. Sometimes we think that just because people are, are somehow connected and, and talking, communicating, and and, and have a common cause, that, that's all that matters. No, that what matters is where is that cause being directed toward? In Genesis 11, we have these words. And tradition has it, as well as some, some archaeological finds and historical comments, is Nimrod was the, at, the, at the head of this. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. Have you ever had a discussion with people, well, what kind of language do you think we're going to speak in heaven? Have anybody talked about that? A lot of people think Spanish is, a, is the most beautiful language, so that's what it'll be in, in heaven. Some people feel it's going to be English because most people speak English now. Some people think, hey, we're going to go back to Greek or Hebrew. Yeah, what kind of language is, is it going to be? But I know one thing, we're going to be able to communicate with each other. Well, there was a time, because everyone came from the three sons, we don't know what language they had back then, but they all spoke the same language. Now, depending upon what you do with your ability to communicate with people, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. Don't you wish sometimes people you, that you know really well that talk too much, you wish you didn't even understand what they were saying? <laughs> you know, it, but most of the time it's a good thing, right? Or at least we think it is, but it doesn't have to be. And in this case, the commonness of man led to dismay, not 
to that which was good. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. And let us make a name for who? Ourselves. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. What was their problem? The problem that we have today, which was pride. It was all about themselves. They had come to the point where they they felt so good about what they could do that they said, we don't need God anymore. Now, most of us are not going to go in our backyard this afternoon and build some big ziggurat. Have you ever traveled in other nations where those ziggurats are, these big kind of straight towers that go up into the sky? They were, they were basically things which brought people's attention and focus in a particular city. They were also places of worship. There's a tower at the top, and often they would have priests up there, and particularly from tradition is, is most of the worship was into the heavens, and they would, they would worship the stars and the moon and the sun. And what they had come to that point, so God, you know, maybe God started this all, but we don't need him anymore. We want to make a name for ourselves. You know, just getting people to work together and talk together doesn't mean they're going to go down the, wrong, the right direction. There have been some powerful leaders that have, have rallied people together and done good things, but when you kind of sifted through what they'd done, it was, it was more evil, really, than good. You know, why did Adolf Hitler come to power? Because for a period of time, he, he brought... He brought pride to the nation, and now we're using pride in a good sense. They, they, they began to feel good about themselves. For a while, the economics of Germany began to recover from World War I, and, and, and people looked at Hitler as being the savior for their people. And he began to rally a very intelligent nation. But just because they got them back to work and they got talking and they got working together, it was all the wrong goal. And it wasn't just the non-spiritual people who didn't get it. There's some some sobering things in history about those who got caught up in that. And quite frankly, one of them was a pastor. And here, a pastor, I was looking at this past week, a Martin Niemöller, a pastor in Germany, is is infamous for this experience in which when Hitler first came to power, he sent him a telegraph congratulating for him for reaching the position of power in the nation. But then after, after Hitler came to a, a reign of, of horror as well as a reign of power, he wrote this. In Germany, they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unions, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't part of the union. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, no one was left to speak up. You see, what happened is, is here was a man like Nimrod who, who rallied a people to do something amazing. And yet what it was, it was evil and not that which is good. 
And, and that's why, as we see in just a moment, where God dispersed them. Because what was happening is they were rallying together is that they were focusing on themselves and not the one who made them. There, there's a place for a division of nations, I believe, because what would happen if we were all together, and that's what's going to happen, I believe, in the timeline of what's going to happen in the future, prophetically. There will, be, there will come a one great leader who will rally people, who will solve the problems, right? Solve the problem in the Middle East, solve worldwide economic issues, and people won't care as long as, as long as their life is a little bit better because he's in power. And that's why they put up with Nimrod. They knew Nimrod was an evil man, but, but things were getting better. That, that's why they put up with Hitler, because even though he was, there was something strange about this little man in the midst of an Aryan race, things were seemingly get better. As long as it was better, they could put up with the rest. So we need to make very clear that getting people to talk with each other and work together is not the goal. The Bible says very plain. The goal for our Existence here on this planet is to give honor and glory to God. Then finally, it's not about doing what we feel like doing, but about obeying God. You know, the reason they built that, because they knew they, were, they would be scattered if they didn't rally together. Because God had said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They didn't want to fill the earth. They just wanted to stay together. So God responds. God intervenes, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. This is what they began to do now. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. And they are confused their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, which really comes from the word lip. That's when their languages, their lips were confused. Because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. See, they felt like being together, and, and that was more important to them than, than obeying God. See, they didn't have a, a whole slew of commandments from God at that moment. It was pretty simple. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Obey me, worship me, put me first in your life, and... And they didn't want that because they wanted to build a name for themselves. You know, so what of this passage is pretty simple, and that is that we need to understand that we need to obey God, and it comes from trusting God. At that point in their life, they believed that Nimrod and the leaders of that day knew better for them than God. And when that happened, they followed an a, a evil leader rather than the one and only righteous leader, which is God. That's always the choice that we have to make. Are we going to obey God or disobey God? Are we going to trust God or not trust God? Are we going to follow the advice of men or follow the advice of God? In the first service, I began with reading a, the lyrics of a song written by John Lennon. Imagine, it was, it was sung at the, the closing ceremonies of the past Olympics. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only the sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, I'm not 
the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the, and the world will be as one. You know, John Lennon was a, was a dreamer, but more than a dreamer, he was a fool. Because you can change all the political parties, you can change all the political leaders in this world, but unless you change people's hearts, this whole world will not be one. It will not be filled with peace. There will be, as he goes on in that, in that famous uh, song of his, there will be a place where people still hoard their own possessions and concern most about themselves. Why? Because you haven't changed the heart. And, and the only way to... Uh, one of the ways just to slam that point home is just look at the life of John Lennon. I, I was, this past week I was looking over one of uh, the more recent biography, biographies of his, which is written by a man named Philip Norman. And it's, uh, it's 822 pages long if you want a long uh, afternoon. But in it, the, the byline from it is that people are shocked because of the hatred and violence that is in his story. And here's a man trying to give advice to our world about how you get peace in world unity. It's not going to come from man. It's only going to come from God. And that's why in our country we have to have all the checks and balances because we would run amok as well. And, and that's when we get out of line when the balances aren't there. Because power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the only way we become right in our own lives and the lives of other people is when we humbly submit ourselves to a righteous, holy God. Let's pray. Father, it all begins in the heart of each one of us that we come to that place in our lives where we, where we put our trust in you and not in ourselves. That we humbly say, God, my heart is desperately evil and selfish and wicked. Only you can really know it. I need for you to give me a new heart and a new way to live. Father, I invite us all to, to embrace Jesus as the, as the changer of lives, where we trust in him more than anyone else. Father, help us to live in such a way that honors you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, as we conclude, if, if you like.